good evening. Why, why call it good, by the way, Good Friday? Yeah, Jesus died for our sins, but it was also a really dark uh, day. Yeah, it was daytime, actually, and it went dark. We're going to talk about that. But why is it good? What actually happened? What actually happened that directly changes our lives? Say, next week, next month, when we're not focused on Good Friday. How does it change us then? Scripture, it seems like Scripture builds and builds and builds to this moment of Jesus dying on the cross. And then, of course, his resurrection. Everything builds to this point. It's like a, a, a buildup of music that just builds to a crescendo of crashing volume. So what do you say about it? <laughs> the main focus tonight is, let's see Jesus. Let's see and let's feel and experience what he experienced uh, together. Uh, let's let that change us. Uh, so let's not walk away with more knowledge in our heads. Let's walk away with our hearts filled by what Jesus did on that Good Friday. Let's leave with that sacrificial love in our hearts. So we're going to go to Matthew 27. That night, the, his death on the cross, Matthew 27, verses 45 to 54. This is God's word. Now the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man's calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask him to guide us through this time together tonight. Father, we do come to you thankful that you came and got us. And as we gather, as we sit before your word, pray that you would speak. I pray that we would see Jesus that we would see his sacrifice for what it was and what it is and how it does change us. And I pray that we would be changed by your word, for your glory. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Perhaps um, I can get at the goodness of Good Friday by way of a story. Uh, it's the story, it's someone else's story. Uh, Ro Rosemary Miller, maybe you, some of you recognize that name, the wife of uh, Pastor Jack Miller, who's authored a lot of books. You may have even read one of his books. I've read some of them and been blessed by them. Well, she speaks of her story in her book, in one of her books, and she's telling the story in part of it about uh, the, when her daughter got married. 
and just describing how wonderful it was at the time. And this is how she describes it and, how, and what came out of that event. Uh, as I heard Jack tell Jim, that's the son-in-law, uh, you may kiss the bride, I thought to myself, life couldn't be better. All my children are Christians. I can be confident of their future. To me, it made sense. This was the goal that I'd been working toward all my life. Didn't I have faith? Wasn't the universe founded on moral order and tilted in favor of the hardworking and the righteous? As it turned out, the fruit of my labor contained the seed of its own destruction. Started in innocently enough one afternoon when a friend and I were having tea together in our sun-filled living room. She commented casually, Jim and Ruth's wedding was so lovely, Rosemary, but it's too bad that you ran out of food before the wedding party was served. I was stunned. My mental world darkened. All the beautiful memories of Ruth's wedding faded under the exposure of social failure. I thought, I have let down Jim's family, Jim, Ruth, and, and our many friends. I couldn't shake the intense feelings of shame and guilt. For months, I was fixated on my failure as a mother at Ruth's wedding. Friends had offered to, offered to provide extra food and drink for the wedding, but confident of my own planning, I had declined their offers with thanks. Now, instead of facing up to this obvious character flaw in myself, my presumptuous self-confidence, I concluded that God had let me down when I needed him. She describes this time as the collapse of an illusion, and it ended up leading her on to, to say a little bit later on in her story, uh, my feelings of abandonment grew stronger every day, but, but, uh, but true to form, I put my willpower to work. I decided to try even harder as a Christian. I prayed and read the Bible more diligently, but it all seemed so dry. Edgy and tense, I longed for something more. Predictably, my frustration translated into more intense criticism of myself and greater demands on Jack. Uh, this eventually led her to uh, a confession that, as she says, poured out of the core of her being. She said one day to Jack, God seems like a dark cloud to me. I don't even know if he exists. Can any of you relate? <laughs> maybe not to all of those things, maybe not to a, a social faux pas at a wedding, but uh, maybe a lifetime of a career that you worked so hard for and it gets pulled out from under you. Or maybe the betrayal of a close family member. I think all these things are driven by, I believe, the core human desire to be accepted. And the flip side of that coin, the core human fear of rejection. We all deal with that in our own ways. Whether we know it or not, it's there. But you see, friends, that is exactly what Jesus went through. Rejection. And it's actually exactly what he accomplished. Acceptance. For you and I on that Good Friday. That's what makes it good. <laughs> because you see, while we feel forsaken, Jesus truly was forsaken. And while we strive for acceptance, he truly accomplished it for us. So let's take a few minutes to look at this text to see both sides of that coin of feeling forsaken and desire for acceptance. So this forsakenness, it really 
pivots on Jesus' cry. That cry in verse 46, at the ninth hour, he cried out with a loud voice. He, uh, Matthew actually records it in, in his original language, in Aramaic, because it basically mirrored the Hebrew of Psalm 22, which we, we just heard. It was in the Old Testament reading. And then they translate it for us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, Jesus always was incredibly present in any moment. Like, nothing phased him. Remember all those moments when he was standing there and, and the, the Pharisees were threatening to kill him. They tried to stone him at one point. Uh, the, when Judas showed up with a mob to arrest him, he was just calm and collected. When he stood before the Sanhedrin being questioned, before Pontius Pilate, when he was flogged, when he was insulted, beaten, he, he, just, he was there. He was in the moment. When the robbers were on either side of him, mocking him, he was present. He was always 100% in tune with the Father his whole life until this moment. What happened? You know, it says this cry, it, it, you, you could think of it like a guttural scream. He cried out, and it poured from the core of his being. So we have to wonder, on, on one hand, did, did Jesus crack? Did he finally break? I've done all this for you, Father, and now you've forsaken me. Did, is that what happened? Uh, another pastor makes this point about this statement, this cry. Uh, he says, this, this type of thing convinces me that Scripture is true. Because if you were going to make up a religion, why would you put that statement on the lips of its founder? What, what sounds like failure, cracking, feeling forsaken. Uh, the fact that we have this, and the fact that, that Matthew and Mark actually give the original language and then translate it for us, they really wanted us to get it. Why do we have it then? Why do we have it? What's going on with it? I think it, it is integral to our understanding of the heart of God and our salvation. Jesus being forsaken so that we could be accepted. You see, the eternal trinity, God three in one, is, is sort of mystery. We can't wrap our minds around it, but it was torn in a moment. You see, the, the darkness was moving in. So the sixth to the ninth hour, that's actually noon to three o'clock. So midday when the sun's at its brightest, the, the sun went out. Right? And there's all kinds of ways that people have tried to explain that. Oh, it was an eclipse, it was this. God put the sun out for three hours <laughs> to make it dark. And it was, this, it was the sign of the darkness that was moving in on Jesus in that moment. And at the end of those three hours of darkness is when he cried out. For us, we read it, and those observing it, it, it was like a moment. That cry out was a moment. But what was going on in that moment? Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. Uh, not uh, simply took our sin and, and, and swept it under the rug or, uh, or, or wiped, it away, wiped it away, clean slated it. No, he became it. <laughs> he who knew no sin became sin for us. The father looked on his son in that moment and saw sin. What is sin? 
It's a good thing to think about. We, we, we know the word. We say it a lot. We un- What's at the core of it, of it? I think that at the core of it, it's every attempt we make to do life apart from God. We think we know our own way. That was our first parents' uh, decision when they ate the fruit, Adam and Eve. They said, oh, I think we can figure this life out on our own. Let's, let's eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We can do this. Maybe God doesn't really love us. You know, we, they believed that lie. We believed that lie. We think we know what's best. But we were never made for personal autonomy. So we're always subconsciously looking for our own acceptance. We, we had acceptance. Adam and Eve had acceptance. They had a perfect situation, perfect relationship with God, with each other. There was no need for making ourselves acceptable. We were. But when that was gone, we spend our effort trying to make ourselves acceptable. But we tend to do it. Uh, James and I were talking about it this week, and he made the comment of uh, life under the sun. Ecclesiastes, life under the sun is sort of life as we see it in this world, uh, absent our view of God. And so guess what? We look for acceptance here in personal relationships or accomplishments or achievements. We look at it here, down here in the world. We play the comparison game. We try to make ourselves feel better. Uh, We people please. So that maybe they'll accept us so we'll feel better about ourselves. But deep down inside we're hiding from shame and guilt. And we're retreating further and further into isolation. And projecting more and more a false self that looks okay. But just like Rosemary's experience of that one small comment of running out of food... It caused her whole kingdom to crumble. Our kingdoms crumble, and they're wrecked by the same types of things. And we feel forsaken sometimes. We do. We feel forsaken. But Jesus actually was. He actually was forsaken in that moment. How? Remember the, the fact that God exists outside of time, right? He's eternal. And this is my best way to, to think about this that I can get my, wrap my little brain around. Was while that we see that as a moment, that cry as a moment, it's sort of like, whoa, it, it, Jesus, you were forsaken, but it was just for a minute, right? Like, and then, and then you're good. Jesus was hit all at once with a trillion eternities of forsakenness because he took on all of what we deserve at the same time. And he stands outside of time. So that moment for him was like an eternity. I really think it was. Sin plunges us into self-reliance that plunges us into isolation. The culmination of that is eternal separation from God. Hell. Jesus described hell most often as the outer darkness, being cast out into outer darkness. Separation. Isolation. And that is what's due us unless God does something. And praise God he did. But somebody else had to go. And Jesus took all of them at once. And he experienced an eternity in a moment. 
John Calvin said this was that descent into hell. If you think about the Apostles' Creed, he descended into hell. We say that in the Apostles' Creed. This moment was that descent. The, uh, have you ever heard of uh, these experiments where people do, uh, well, scientists have tried experiments on sensory deprivation to see what happens with the human mind. There was this experiment, a British scientist conducted an experiment uh, where he got college students, paid them pretty well to participate, and put them in a, a, a room without light, put cotton gloves on their hands to limit the sense of touch, um, and had them lay in this U-shaped foamed pillow, foam pillow to, to reduce as much sound as possible and had sort of a, a low hum of an air conditioner running, right? So just drowning all, all senses. And originally he wanted to have them for a few weeks do it to see the effects of the brain. No one lasted more than about two days. They started losing their minds. Having, uh, I mean, it was just... All, they, they lost all control of their emotions and their mood and their senses. They started seeing things, hallucin hallucinations, like some, one of them saw dogs everywhere in the room. Uh, one of them saw eyeglasses marching down a street. <laughs> I mean, just crazy stuff. One of them felt like he was being uh, pelted with a miniature battleship that he said he saw in the room. <laughs> Wild stuff. Here's the point. The mind will create its own reality when deprived of true reality. In the same way, when we feel forsaken, we will spend all our effort trying to avoid that feeling to make ourselves acceptable. Meanwhile, we're fueling that false version of our acceptance. We stuff thoughts and feelings and experiences. We convince ourselves we're okay when we're crumbling. Jesus really was forsaken. He really was cut off so that we could be brought in. Another gospel account uh, says, that here in, in this passage, it just says, uh, he gave up a loud cry and yielded up his spirit. One of the other gospel accounts, uh, when he died, that cry was, it is finished. I've accomplished it, and I will never cast you out. So while we feel forsaken, Jesus really was. Now the other side of that coin is acceptance. We're trying to produce our own versus receiving what Jesus accomplished for us. Let's talk for a minute about that. What was the result of his abandonment by his father? Look at verse 51. Jesus was abandoned. He cried out, forsaken, Verse 51, when he dies, when he says it's finished, verse 51, behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and the tombs were opened. All kinds of crazy stuff was happening when he died, right? But it's interesting. All these things are happening. What does Matthew put first? The temple curtain torn in two. Now, I, don't, I wonder if everybody standing there watching Jesus die would have even known that happened at the temple because they were over on, on uh, Calvary. <laughs> they weren't at the temple. I wonder if anybody was in the temple when it happened. I don't know. 
But the temple curtain was torn in two at that moment. And there was earthquakes and rocks were splitting and people were coming out of the graves. I mean, imagine that one. They went into the city and, and like saw a bunch of people. But Matthew said first, in his list of descriptions of what happened, the temple curtain was torn in two. What's the significance of that? Well, let's talk about what the temple represents. The presence of God. It was the presence of God in the Old Testament. God dwelling with his people. But God can't be in the presence of sin, right? Right. So he made a way for that. The sacrificial system. And there also were courts in the temple, by the way. There was the the court of the Gentiles. What are the outsiders? Like, okay, there's a court there, but you can't can't go any further than here. Nope. Can't go further than here. And there was the, the court of the women. Ah, you can't go past here. And then there was the court for just your average everyday priest. But wait, you can't go any further than this point right here. And then finally there was the, the, the holy of holies. But even then, only the high priest could go in there just once a year. <laughs> One day a year. And we don't know which court, court, uh, curtain was torn but I kind of think it was the one accessing the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. It was something like a 60-foot high curtain, thick, like almost soundproof thick. And it was torn from top to bottom. At Jesus' moment of forsakenness, it was torn. God did it. <laughs> it was torn from top to bottom. God tore that and said, access granted, all of you. You are all in because of what my son did. So stop striving. Stop running. You are in. (laughs) You know what's interesting here? The the outsiders got it first, I think. Those who were watching Jesus die, it was the centurion and those, the soldiers who were with them, keeping watch over Jesus. Did you notice that? They were in awe. One of the other gospel accounts said they worshiped God. When they saw all that had taken place, they were in awe. And the centurion said, truly, this was the Son of God. They saw and received. They didn't know Torah. They probably didn't have their doctrine all cleaned up. But they saw what Jesus did for them. And the interesting thing is the bystanders, the religious folks, I think they missed it. They heard the cry which was a, a, a quote of Psalm 22, and they thought he was calling Elijah. So that means they knew who Elijah was, right? They knew at least something of the Old Testament. They had, some, uh, they had been to Sunday school. They had been there for that. But what were they looking for? They said, hey, this man's calling Elijah. And one of them went to get some wine, maybe had pity on him. Like, hey, let's help him out. He seems like he you know, needs some help. And then the others were like, wait, wait, wait. Let's see if Elijah really comes. I think they were looking for amusement. <laughs> like, let's see if we can see him do one more magic trick before he dies. And they missed. They missed it. They missed it in that moment. So for the religious person, let's not miss the power of what Jesus did through familiarity with the story. Let's not miss what he accomplished. 
the religious folks, they were familiar with the story. They knew who Elijah was. They'd, they'd been to Sunday school class, but they missed it. And here's one of the greatest ironies. The outsider is accepted. The outsiders get it. They're in. By the way, we're all outsiders. <laughs> None of us has access apart from Christ. The outsider worshipped. I heard a, uh, James sent me a little clip the other day. Uh, Pastor Alistair Begg, he was uh, talking about uh, the thief on the cross. And he sort of said, I want to find that guy one day in heaven and, and say, you know, you know, wonder what it would have been like when he got in. You know, how are you in here? How did you get in here? And he's like, what? I don't, I don't know. Uh, the, the guy on the middle cross said I could come. If we're asked, why should you get into heaven, if, anything, if it begins in any way with I, me, or my, then we've missed it. But if it begins with a man on the middle cross said I could come, he did it. <laughs> he let me in. <laughs> when I uh, worked in sales, I'll close with this story. When I worked in sales, um, I went through the sales training program. It was, a, it was a long program. It was over a year. And they had me for almost, uh, what was it, six, six or eight months. I worked in the warehouse because I had to learn how the ware warehouse worked. And then they put me in a, a work site job trailer, a supply trailer at a power plant uh, down in Wilsonville. Um, and I was there for six months and did that and just put my time in. And then finally I got on the sales counter. Me and another guy, the guy was beside me, went through the training program with me. And I was like, all right. I'm on the trajectory, right, looking for the next promotion to get to inside sales and this and that. And then watch the guy next to me get the promotion. I'm like, oh, man. Okay, I'll just keep biding my time. Well, they, they hire somebody else to take his place. And he's, he's right here. <laughs> uh, and so that guy comes in. I'm like, all right, I'm next. And that guy gets promoted. <laughs> like, oh, is it the seat? I'm moving over here. I'm going to start sitting right here. I thought, you know, come on, like, where, does anybody see me here? I, I'm, I want the promotion. Meanwhile, Jesus says, look at me. Look at me. At the moment of his greatest obedience and expression of love for the Father. He always was obedient. He always loved the Father. But this is like the culmination of all of that to the moment of going, I'll die <laughs> I'll take your wrath. At that moment of his perfect obedience was the moment the father rejected him. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away. We're going to sing that in a little bit. Jesus didn't merely, merely feel forsaken as to identify with us. Certainly he does identify with us. But it was, he really was forsaken. Not merely by his friends but by the one whom he had been united with for all eternity, his father. The crowds didn't stop jeering. The demons didn't stop taunting. The pain didn't stop. And this time there was no voice to counter all of that. No voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Not this time. Just silence and darkness and blackness and angry earthquakes. God didn't look down on a beloved son in whom he was well pleased, but he looked on the sin of the world, 
all at once. And therefore, he had to crush him and sent him to the hell that we deserved so that you and I could cease our striving and receive the acceptance that he accomplished for us. So I just want to leave you all with the question, has this reality changed you? Will you let it change you tonight? Don't miss it through familiarity. Don't let, the, the, don't let it fade as the emotions of the night fade. Let Jesus change you. Father, you bore the ultimate cost because you crushed your son. You forsook him. He became our sin and he took on your wrath so that we could be brought in. Father, I pray that that truth, that reality, what Jesus did that night would truly change us. If we already know him, I pray that it would just make us more in love with him. And for any here who do not know Christ, that hearing this reality would transform them. For your glory and for our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.